All right, well, good morning, everyone. And I am just really pleased and blessed um, to be up here with you guys. I always love preaching anyway, um, but I'm having quite the, the preacher weekend this weekend. Um, one of our, our members uh, was getting married in Brackettville, and they had their wedding all uh, planned and ready to go. And at the last minute, uh, the pastor that uh, was going to marry them had to back out. And so they called Steve, and the text stream between the pastors and the elders went out like, hey, is anybody available to do this? And we had a conversation, and for one reason or another, uh, it fell to me to go. And what an absolute blessing to be able to stand there and uh, perform a wedding uh, at the last minute. And a little side note, too, uh, as a pastor, it's like the best scenario uh, to like swoop in and like be the hero. Like Everyone was very accommodating. Everyone was very nice. And they were like, oh, this is such a great thing. And you're like, yes, absolutely. I'm a big deal. No, just kidding. It wasn't like that at all. It was quite the opposite. It was like, y'all stop paying any attention to me. It's not about me. I'll just say what I need to do. And it was really great. But what kind of even tied that all together for me, even a little bit more, is maybe y'all don't know this, maybe you do know this, but um, Joe, every year, gives the pastors a new devotional book. Um, and this year, uh, I'm, I'm going through it, and this week, uh, the devotion was talking about living in communion with people. Communion and communication was in the devotional this week, and I could not imagine a better example of living in communion uh, with people than by, at the last minute, being able to just say, hey, yeah, absolutely. You, you need a wedding? Let's do a wedding. Let's have a wedding, right? Because that is what we as Christians, not just we as pastors, but we as Christians do. At the last minute, we drop everything, and we take care of people. Another example of living in communion with people is going to be what we're going to do here in a couple hours. You have to come back for it, but we're going to be out having, sharing a meal together, literally breaking bread with one another and sharing a meal with one another. And how great is that? And I am just blessed that I get to be a part of any of that, and that I get to stand up here and share God's word with you, I mean, I could not imagine a, a greater opportunity to live in communion with you guys and share with you what God has to say, because this is honestly a very exciting passage of scripture that I get to share with you guys. But before we do, let's just say a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, and I just ask that your um, word become real this morning, uh, become alive in us and uh, as it says in the, in the Jesus book, that you have come, that we may become alive inside and live life to the max. And just allow your word to do that for us. Become alive inside of us so that when we leave this place, that we start to live our lives to the max. In your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. So I grew up in the 1900s. <laughs> like all of you. Um, but I grew up in the 80s, and um, in 1980, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time came out. It was a Steven Spielberg film called Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
It has now become known as Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it was originally just Raiders of the Lost Ark because it was just supposed to be one movie. Um, and I could watch this film over and over and over again as a kid. So much so that we had like recorded it off of like ABC or whatever with our v VHS tapes. Uh, and my brothers and I watched it so many times that the tape broke to our devastation. Uh, until like later on in the 90s, we were able to buy it all in a box set. But we watched this film over and over and over again. And it was just the adventure, the travel, all the different locations. Of course, the cool whip and leather jacket, you know, that influenced so many different things. Um, and uh, for those of you who know me a little bit more, um, I remember the conversation that I had with my dad when I realized what an actor was, because I wanted to be an actor for such a long time, but it wasn't, I didn't realize what an actor was until I'm watching Indiana Jones and then I'm watching Star Wars and it clicks in me for the first time, I was probably eight or nine, that Han Solo and Indiana Jones have the same face. And I'm like, hold on a second, what is this? And so I had a conversation with my dad and my dad was like, oh yeah, that's an actor named Harrison Ford. And I was like, what? You can get paid to be Indiana Jones? That's awesome! So of course I wanted to be an, an actor, but this passage of scripture makes me feel that kind of excitement of that Indiana Jones, all that travel, all that adventure, all that danger that's here. So before we get into the passage that we're learning on this morning, let's rewind just a little bit, two verses. We're in Acts chapter 14. We're picking up where Joe left off last week, or Chris, whoever it was, it was Joe. It was Joe. I know. I was here. And we're going to go, chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 19. Um, then some Jews came from Antioch in Iconium and won, over, won the crowd over. Uh, now, they're coming to Lystra where Paul and Barnabas are. And they had won a great number of disciples. And then the Jews from um, Antioch and Iconium have come and won the crowd over. And then they stone Paul. And they drag him to outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. And that's where we pick up in verse 29. Or I'm sorry, in verse 21. And I'm just going to read through right to the end of the passage here. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for, each of, uh, for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through uh, Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia. You're right. That's how you say it. Uh, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went to Attilia. From Attilia, they sailed back to Antioch. There, uh, where they had committed, where they had been committed by grace, the grace of God for which they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all God had done through them 
and how it had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there for a long time with the disciples. So if you're just reading this in a story mode, this could be just such a transitional passage. They went here, they did this, they made some disciples, they did this. But what I want to share with you guys is right down here, I love this poetic language found in verse 27. Because what we find here is the conclusion of Paul's first missionary journey. And he went to some Greek cities, he went to some cities that didn't speak Greek, he went to some synagogues, he went to some towns that didn't have synagogues, and he preached the gospel, and he concluded by going back to Antioch and then reporting to uh, the, the believers there, the disciples there, of all the things that he had done. But listen to this language. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he, God, had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now we've gone a long way from there to here. But we, Gentiles, are sitting here this morning because of the faithfulness of Paul and Bartimaeus. The door of faith was opened to us from these Indiana Jones-style guys going out and faithfully traveling between all these cities. And if you don't think that it's adventurous what they did, and let me tell you how adventurous it is, they were in Lystra and they went to Derby right? That's about 60 miles. Now, this is not, Derby was not a Roman, a Roman province. Derby was a small Greek town, and as a matter of fact, where it is today, there's no town that claims to be the historical Derby. There's towns that are near it, where it was. There are some ruins that are around it, but there's no town there. It was a small town, I, I pulled this out of a uh, Bible dictionary, and it says an important city in the region of Lyconium, a province in Galatia, which Galatia, Galatians, right? In Asia Minor, the residents of Derby and Lystra spoke a different language from the people from the north in Iconium. So it's interesting enough, but another fact is between Lystra and Derby was about 60 miles. Now, for you guys with your cool F-150s and whatnot, 60 miles didn't seem like that much, right? You guys remember that whole math problem, like if you have to go between uh, Lystra and Derby and it's 60 miles and you're driving at 60 miles an hour, how long is it gonna take you? Well, it's an hour, but now it's 2025, so you know that we would probably be allowed to drive 75 or 80, so it's less than an hour drive, right? No big deal. Now imagine if we're walking between Del Rio, Texas, and Brackettville. That's about 30 miles. Now, I'll go, I'll go you one further. Let's not even walk. Let's ride on a horse or a camel for 30 miles from here to Brackettville. And everything that we have to take with us has to be strapped to this animal and then go. <coughs> That's only 30 miles. I drove there last night, there and back, that's a hike, even in my car, 30 miles, especially with that new light. Yeah. Oh, man, I got stuck at that light on the way to the wedding, and I almost was late. 
It was, whew, I was sweating it there for a little bit because I had already told them not to pay attention to me. And then if I wasn't there, then it'd be weird. Anyway, but it's only 30 miles, but it was only 60 miles. Now imagine that you've just preached, you've made some disciples, and that you have been stoned. And I'm not talking about the 2021 reference of stoning. <coughs> I'm talking about actually hit with rocks. Like they hit Paul so many times with rocks that they dragged him out to the, the city limits and they left him for dead. They hit him so many times. And then the disciples went to go check on him. Paul was like, nah, man, I was faking it. Let's go. I'm good. They went back into town. He stayed the night. And then he hoofed it 60 miles the next day to Derby. 60 miles. He walked or rode a camel of some sort after he had been stoned nearly to death to Uvalde. Not just outside of Uvalde. But you get what I'm, I'm, I'm tracking at? This dude was not a 2021 American. This dude had some resilience. This dude had calluses on his feet, on his hands, now on his face from rocks. Like, this is so incredible. But you know, I try to, I always try to put myself in their, in their shoes, if you will, or their sandals in this case, I guess. Um, and what would I do if I was hit so many times with rocks, drug out to the outskirts of town, left for dead, what would I do that night? Well, I probably wouldn't go back into Lystra. Those guys just hit me with rocks. But that's what Paul did. The next day, leaving makes sense. I would probably do that. But when I got to Derby, what would I do? I'd probably ask for some food. I'd like some water. I'd think to myself, yeah, maybe I'm not going to bring up Jesus uh, in this town because I don't want to be hit by rocks again. But this isn't even the first time that Paul had been hit by something. A few weeks ago, uh, Joe shared with us that he was struck with reeds leaving the city. But last week, I... I shared with you guys, guys, I'm going to have to have a little bit of a cough. I'm going to mute my microphone so you don't hear it, but don't worry. Okay. <coughs> you know, I was so worried uh, last night that I was going to be preaching and I was going to have a coughing fit at the wedding. I didn't. <clears throat> I saved that for you guys this morning. Um, but just think about it. Put yourself in his shoes, in Paul's shoes. Um, I wouldn't have done any of the things that he did. But it says that they preached the good news in that city, in Derby, and won a large number of disciples. Now, when you think about that, that word, disciples, like it's used so often in Acts and throughout the New Testament that we're like, oh, of course, they, they made some disciples. But this guy, like the testimony of this guy, I'm telling you, he, he had to have had like scars and cuts. And, and whatnot. He probably had a black eye at least. Um, and then he's still preaching the good news. And he's in this new town and he's telling people about the good news. And they're looking at this guy going, he's 
got, she just got hit by rocks, and you're still here preaching to us? There's got to be something to this. And he's preaching the good news, and he's winning over a large number of disciples. Now, what is a disciple? So we have that image of, like, the 12 disciples, right? We know who those guys are. Any um, Awanas kids in here that could just rattle off all 12 of them real quick? Any of them? Who, give, me, give me one. Give me one good. The, Matthew? All right, how about another one? Peter, John, all right, we got the big ones. James, right, we got, all right, okay. Um, so we know all the big ones. Bartholomew always gets left out, that poor guy. Nobody ever remembers him. But uh, those are the 12 disciples. They are actually apostles, okay? And so there's a difference between a disciple and an apostle. Right, so let's look at what an apostle is. An apostle is a disciple so all apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. An apostle is one that represents the teacher. An apostle is one that not only knows the teachings of the teacher, but they can speak and perform on behalf of the teacher. They represent fully who the teacher is. And that is who our 12 apostles are, and then Paul later, because Judas obviously gives up his apostleship, right? Judas gave that up. Paul, and then uh, another guy named Matthias also appointed. We talked about that probably in February of last year or so. Um, of course, you guys remember. Um, but a disciple, on the other hand, is a student or a learner, a follower Someone who adheres completely to the teachings of another, making him their rule of life and conduct. A disciple is one who adheres completely to the teachings of another. Let me say it one more time. And when I say it this time, I want you to evaluate your relationship with Christ right now. So a disciple is someone who adheres completely to the teaching of another. Completely. So Paul and Barnabas go into Derby and they make a large number of people who are completely committing their lives to the teachings of Christ in the way that Christ wants us to live. What is this good news. The Messiah has come. The Savior has come. He lived this perfect, sinless life to show us how to love. To love one another. Others are greater than ourselves. We put God's love, God's grace in everything that we do. He he lived perfectly. He died for us. He was in the tomb for three days. He rose again and now sits at the right hand of God. And he will return. Last week we talked in the communion that we are going to pro proclaim Christ's death until he returns. And we are proclaiming the good news. And we are committing ourselves to the discipleship of Christ, just like Paul started. 
The door that was opened to the Gentiles, the door that was opened for us, is this discipleship in Christ, this committing ourselves to the teaching. But it's not just an offhanded comment, like to say, are you a Christian? Oh yeah, I, I, I went to church when I was a kid. That's not what it means to be a disciple. That's actually not even what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a disciple is one that commits yourselves to the teachings, completely to the teachings of another. And it's a little terrifying, right? It's a little uncomfortable for me. Uh, I'm a bit of a control freak. You can ask my wife. Um, It's only because I know how to do things the right way and everyone else doesn't. It's not a big deal. Um, But to give over that control to someone else is frustrating to me. I like to say, I, I put on like resumes and whatnot that I am an equal uh, leader, uh, or I'm equally comfortable in a leadership role and a follower role. And that is true for the most part, unless I can do it better, uh, and then I struggle with the followership stuff. Um, but that's, you know, that is one of my, uh, one of the things that I struggle with in my discipleship is my, is my pride. I really don't like asking for help, especially from another guy. Like, if I can do it on my own, why would I have that dude come into my house and help me run tile on my floor? Well, because of fellowship. Even, even if I don't need help, what I, the, the path that I'm on now, the path of grace, is sometimes I don't ask for help just for me. Sometimes I ask someone to help me because I want a kinship or a fellowship with someone and that we can bond together while we're doing something. I miss my brother Zach Miller. I would ask that dude for help on all sorts of things I didn't need help with because I just enjoyed spending time with him. It also helped that he was right around the corner and it was... A, a mutual thing, but I, I, I miss him because I could just call him like, hey man, I'm about to hang my fence. Do you want to come help hang a couple panels with me? And he would come over in a, in a heartbeat, usually like right after a run, because that's just how he was. Um, but that is communion. That is fellowship. That is committing myself to the teachings of Christ. Because what I've had to learn over the years and hopefully you guys learn this before I do, is that sometimes it's not all about me. Sometimes it's not all about you from your perspective. Sometimes it's about other people. And by some, I mean most. Most of the time, it's about other people. It's spending time with other people and growing together with other people. Because I struggle in areas that you don't struggle in, and you struggle in areas that I don't struggle in. And together, as a church, as a group of disciples, we grow together towards Christ, and we show other people that that is what being a church and what a, being a Christian is. Because right now, the perception of being a Christian is not a positive one, necessarily. If you listen to the news, 
being a Christian in the news is a negative thing because we hate. But that can't be true, right? Because if we are true disciples of the person that we claim to be the disciple of, he taught love. The greatest commandment is love. Love God. And the second is like it. Love others. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So how can we be hate if the person that we follow is love? You tracking with me? You, you got it? These are the people that Paul and Barnabas are making large crowds of loving disciples. And then these crazy cats. Oh, let's not, let's not move on yet. Let's talk about what it means to be a disciple. Um, so <coughs> Paul and Barnabas, they go back through, they, they make a large number of disciples, they go back to Lystra, they go back to Iconium, they go back to Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to their faith. And then they say this line that probably terrifies every new Christian and maybe some of you old ones who've been sitting around and don't realize it's in here. But it says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And I hear that and I'm like, oh, great. We're all going to get stoned like Paul. Right? But let's look at what Jesus says about being a disciple. In Luke 14.33, he says, anyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Let me say it one more time. Now, these aren't my words. I'm not making these rules up. Jesus said, anyone who does not give up everything that he has cannot be my disciple. And then in Matthew 16.24, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, <laughs> we must endure hardships. And um, I would say if you look back through uh, church history, Christians have gone through some genuinely hard times. I am certainly not underplaying 2020 and 2021. I am thankful that those years are behind me. Those are hard times for me. I would say people who grew up um, in the, during the Great Depression, you know, those were hard times. But I don't know if that's what Paul is talking about here. Because those conditions tested your faith. Those conditions really made you sit down and ask yourself, am I trusting God in this situation? Right? And you, hopefully, you won the day. You're like, yes, God, I'm going to trust you. And here you are this morning sitting here trusting God. But I'm not entirely sure that that's what Paul was driving at when he said we must endure hardships to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because if you look at the words of Jesus, I would say that the hardship is not getting your way. He says, anyone who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. 
you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Now, what is this talking about? Is this saying that you have to erase your identity and not be who you are and not do the things that you want and do all those things? No, maybe, but mostly no. What Jesus is saying here, what Paul is saying here, is that there are things in this life that we want. Oh man, there are things in this life that I want real bad. There are a lot of girls that I wanted to date that I didn't date. But man, did I want to. But not because of their faith in Christ. I wanted to date those girls because I wanted to see what they looked like underneath their clothes. But I had to render them to God. I had to give them to God and say, all right, God, if this is, if this is the girl that you want for me, man, I can't wait. And God told me no over and over and over and over again. But did I want that? Yes. But was the right thing to do was to pray over those relationships and turn those relationships over to God? Yes. There are jobs that I have wanted that I was sure that I was going to get. My youth group knows, you guys know for the most part, I was sure I was going to be more famous than Brad Pitt. I had no doubt in my mind when I was in high school that I was going to be a very famous actor. I was going to be the next Indiana Jones. Because obviously they're going to recast him, right? And why can't it be me? But that is not the path that God had out for me. But if I continually whine and complain and say, God, you're not giving me what I want, am I denying myself? Or am I telling God that He's not being the right kind of God for me? When it says deny yourself, it's take all of these wants, all of these things that you have in your life, whether it's a house, whether it's a car, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a job, whether it's what running shoes you want. No matter what it is, you are supposed to be laying these things out before God and saying, God, how is it that you want me to live my life in this event? Now, I, I said tongue-in-cheek the running shoes. But, you know, my wife and I own a gym. Gym equipment is very expensive. I don't know if you guys know this or not. Running shoes are very expensive. And there was a time in my life where I was just like, hey, I'm an adult. I'm going to pay $200 for those shoes. I'm sure it's going to make me faster. Turns out it's your muscles and your genetics, not your shoes necessarily, that make you go faster. But where my wife and I are at now is we see this equipment, we see these shoes that we want, these overpriced workout shorts. Instead of just going and getting them, we stop. And we say, God, how is it that you want us to spend our money on this? How is this a Scott thing? Or is this a God thing? And it's not just running shoes. I drive a um, 2012 Honda Odyssey minivan. 
almost exclusively. I, I, my, my dad gifted my daughter a uh, Dodge Dakota, uh, a, like a 2009 Dodge Dakota for her first car, and she didn't have a driver's license yet, so I drive that too. Um, but uh, this, this Honda Odyssey minivan, I hate it. Oh, man. I, I, I hate it. No offense. I know some of Melissa. I know you also drive a very similar uh, vehicle. Um, but <coughs> it's not the car that I would choose for myself. Uh, ever. I actually chose it for my wife, and now I'm driving it. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> the reason that we don't have another car, or I didn't just go out and buy the car that I wanted when I retired out of the military, was because, man, we haven't had a car payment since 2015. Zero car payments. We have three cars, no car payments. And I'm not rushing out to go buy a new vehicle because obviously God has something else that he wants us to do with that money, like buy running shoes or something. You know, it's not like he sends me an accounting list every, every week of, hey, instead of buying that, you know, F-150 XLT Lariat that you really, really want, uh, here's a list of things that you can use your money for. But sometimes it just manifests itself. Like, hey, instead of that, we're going to do this. Instead of that, we're going to do this. Hey, this person's in need. I can meet that need because I don't have a car payment. Man. And every time I drive by that Ford dealership, which doesn't help that it's on the way to church, <laughs> I look over there and I'm like, man, I love those trucks. I love those trucks. But I remember why I'm driving that stupid van. <laughs> but hear my heart. I don't want to drive that van. But I am giving that to God. I mean, if this is my hardship, driving that van, then a freaking men. You know what I mean? Like, what a great hardship to have. Because some of you have had other hardships that are really hard. It doesn't underplay the fact that this is hard for me. It doesn't underplay the fact that this is a difficult situation. And it doesn't underplay the fact that some of you are going through your own level of hardships that aren't as hard as me driving a minivan. And if you want to experience how hard it is, I can trade, your, trade cars with you if you want for a week. You might actually like it. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Melissa's the only one. That would like it. The rest of us, the rest of you would hate it. But let's talk about that just a little bit more. So we're talking about hardships. We're talking about denying ourselves. And then it goes on and it talks about Paul and Barnabas appointing elders for each in their church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord. Fasting, prayer and fasting. So traditionally, fasting is tied to prayer, right? It, it, it's something that in the Jewish tradition uh, was used as a, an emphasis or something uh, with prayer. Uh, intermittent fasting is a new uh, diet fad 
that works for some people, but not for all people. Um, but that's the gym owner in me, not the pastor in me. But let's talk about fasting just real quick and what the benefits of fasting are and how it can help us with this um, hardship thing that we have to endure before we go to the kingdom of heaven. So here's Scott's thoughts on fasting. Uh, it's a sacrifice of selfish wants or needs to focus on God. It's giving up something that I want to focus on what God wants for me. So when I'm thinking of that something, instead of focusing on that, I should turn to His Word or to prayer. So fasting doesn't necessarily have to be food or water or drink. I mean, it can be. You know, you can fast from alcohol. Oh man, the first time that I did this, it was Dr. Pepper. And I am a Texan through and through. Now my lineage is from Louisiana, that is for sure, but I am not, I mean, I'm Cajun genetically, but I am a Texan because I love Dr. Pepper. I love it. But I, I quit drinking, so I was probably an alcoholic in my 20s because I would get off work and I would go and buy some Bud Light because I didn't, you know, I thought that was good. And I would drink all 12 of them after my, my shift as an air traffic controller. And I didn't think it was a, that, that big of a deal until all of a sudden I was waking up and I was like, man, I really want a Bud Light. And I was like, oh boy, maybe this is a big deal. So I quit. I quit drinking completely uh, for about 10 years. Um, and I'm sharing that with you because uh, stopping drinking Dr. Pepper was way harder than that. <laughs> I went through withdrawals from those Dr. Peppers. Oh, man. And I would stop drinking Dr. Pepper, and then I'd go back to drinking Dr. Pepper, and then I'd stop again. And then Kristen was finally, she was like, would you stop stopping drinking Dr. Pepper? Like, it's terrible when you stop. So either keep doing it or stop and never go back. Um, withdrawals were terrible with it. Um, but I've fasted on television. Um, I've fasted on internet and video game playing. Um, I've fasted on uh, swearing. Ooh, man. Not even using replacement swear words, right? Um, you guys know what a replacement swear word is, right? My mom says flip all the time. And I get her, I get her real good. I'm like, uh, mom, you know that's, that's the same as saying the other one. She's like, no, it isn't. I go, it's your heart, it's not your mouth, mom. And she's like, ah, yeah. You know, you pray for your son to be a preacher, and then all of a sudden he's a preacher, and, you know, she doesn't like it. Um... But the point of this fast, and what I want to challenge you guys on, is I want you to try fasting. I want you to try it, and not in so much as like a New Year's resolution type fast, but I want you to try it as a way to connect closer with God, and in a way for you to refocus on what is it that you would have me to do with my life. And I want you to pick something and just do it for a week. Start 
or tomorrow. Pray over it tonight. Start tomorrow. And go until Friday. You don't even need to make it all the way to Sunday. But pick something that is socially acceptable everywhere you go. Like a Dr. Pepper. Like a Snickers. Like a bag of potato chips. Like that cup of coffee in the morning. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> but, <coughs> that's an example. It's not what you have to do. But when you pray on it, and you decide whatever it is, because you're going to crave it, especially if it's something that you have every day, and it's part of your routine. And when you crave it, instead of giving in to the temptation to go get it, what I want you to do is stop and acknowledge that maybe this thing has become my God. Ooh, maybe it's, maybe it's checking Facebook or Instagram or Snapchats or Twitter or I don't know all the other new ones because I'm, I'm kind of stuck on Facebook. Like, I don't know whatever else everyone else is using. But, like, picking up your phone and checking Facebook first. addiction lies. And maybe that's where you can realize you're about to do it and go, you know what? I'm not going to do that this morning. Instead, thank you for the reminder, God. Let me focus on you. Let me stop and say, God, I don't need that cup of coffee right now. What I need right now is to spend time with you and ask, how is it that you would have me live my life? That's what fasting is for. Fasting is for you to take your focus off of that thing and turn it to God. And it's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be a struggle. Because perhaps you've turned that cup of coffee into your God and you don't even know it. Perhaps, Scott Foshi, you turn that Dr. Pepper into your God. You say things like, oh man, I really need a Dr. Pepper right now. But what I really need right now is God. What I really need right now is to turn over whatever it is to God and acknowledge that maybe I'm not living my life the way I'm supposed to be living my life because I've used this crutch for so long and I'm allowing this thing to get in the way, even unknowingly, even innocently, I've allowed it to get in the way of what God wants me to be doing. Maybe I'm looking at that social media and I'm allowing that to be my God. I'm allowing myself to find justification and appreciation in those things instead of looking at God. Man, I have so much more. When am I supposed to be done, Joe? Now? Dang, that's so much more. All right, so I, I'm going to finish with this. So I gave you Scott's thoughts on fasting. Now let me give you God's thoughts on fasting. In Matthew 6, 16 and 18, Jesus says this, When you fast, do it not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disguise their faces to show that they are fasting. 
I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, pour oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting. But only your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So my challenge to you is to pick something and fast on it this week. To focus on your discipleship, on what God is calling you to do. But when you do it, don't tell people what you're doing. Don't try to get attaboys or girls from people because you're, you quit drinking your Dr. Pepper all week. Because it's between you and it's between God what you're doing. Your focus is not on what people think about you. Your focus isn't on how great of a faster you've become. Or, hey guys, look at my discipleship. I'm outside the church discipling. It's great. No, your focus is on what God has for you to do. And I have like seven more points, and I cannot get to them. But that's okay. Man, that's so disappointing. Let's pray. The second service will get all of it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity, and I just ask that you um, allow the congregation, allow the people of Del Rio Bible Church to pick up uh, the challenge of fasting this week, of looking at how you would have us live our lives. Allow us to find those weak points in our lives that we may have turned into our gods and allow us to give those to you. Allow us to uh, go through these hardships, Father, so that we too can enter the kingdom of heaven and how thankful we are that you opened the door of faith to the Gentiles so that we could be here this morning praising you. In your precious holy name I pray, amen.